to the open side. Karim Bete. Lovely here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. With me is Lockie, and we don't have Ando tonight because Ando's currently in COVID isolation, unfortunately. So he's got COVID for the second time and isn't feeling up to it tonight. But Lockie, you are with us. How are you feeling, mate? Good. The kids are out to play. Dad's off. That's It'll it. be a good, fun record, but I am not looking forward to actually talking about the games because there wasn't much doing from round 15 for Australian teams. Mitch, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Well, you've actually got a bit more exciting rugby stuff to talk about than me. What were you, what have you been up to over the weekend? Oh, it's been busy weekend. Um, we've been down in Tassie for the Gold-Blooded Tour, which is the regional tour around the country to promote uh, all the World Cup activations, 100 days leading into France, all that kind of stuff. So Tassie was that leg that I was a part of organising, and we had Taniela Tupo, Angus Bell, and Classic Wallaby Mark Gerard down there as well, running some clinics. So a bit of organized chaos, which was good fun. We had close to probably 50 kids um, at our first one on Friday night. And then uh, Taniella and Angus came down to our rep games for the juniors and popped along to some seniors as well. We had the TRU 90th dinner um, to round it off on Saturday night. So a lot of um, socializing, you know, shaking babies and kissing hands uh, or the other way around, whichever one you want to say. (laughs) Um, But it went really well, uh, I think. And there is a very small but very passionate community down in Tassie that I was pleased to be a part of um, a couple of years back with the uni team. And it's nice to be back and catch up with everyone. Oh, that sounds awesome. I have seen some photos going around on social media and I don't know if it was down there, but I have seen, was in Canberra earlier in the week with 100 days to the World Cup, but they had like a replica trophy from when we won it. All those years ago, World Cup was that down in Canberra? Uh, in, uh, in yeah, Canberra? we had we had it down there as well. We had we had a replica, uh, which was really cool. So the kids were able to you know take photos with it, hold it up, um, you know, run around with it. None of them tried to pinch it, which was a good start. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was all, all it was. in really good spirits. And <laughs> no, all, all in good spirits. And um, the the Wallabies boys are really good. They even bought some um, local club merch as well from a couple of the teams down there. So they were repping a couple of local Hobart sides on their way back home, which was good to see. Jeez, they must make them in big sizes if Taniela Tupo can squeeze into the, the local teams. Yeah, 3XL three, three, three Canterbury, I reckon that um, Taruna one was. So shout out to him. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's great. So if you, if you want to do follow up and, and catch up on where the Wallabies are up to, I think I saw this afternoon they're in South Australia. So definitely continuing that tour around and just follow their socials. So um, Instagram, Facebook, all those things, it's, it's popping up and it's getting pretty exciting. We're getting closer and closer to the World Cup and 2027 is not that far away either. So it's a very exciting time to be involved in in, in rugby union in Australia. But um, let's crack on to what we're doing tonight. So just the two of us, so Ando's not here, as I said before. Uh, we'll start things off with a bit of Aussies abroad or, and some news from around the grounds. We'll then cover what happened in Super Rugby Pacific, the final round of the comp, round 15. Um, We'll try and be as positive as we can. It wasn't a very great weekend for the Aussies, unfortunately. Uh, And then we will look forward to the quarterfinals that are happening this coming weekend. Now, if you have been following our Super Rugby tipping results um, throughout the year, we do have, well, since this was the final round of the competition, everything has been tied up and it has been finalized and finished. 
So well done to Jojo Rabbit or Dan G. He did manage to hold on and take out the trophy this year in first place, followed closely by S Blanco or Paul F in second place. Um, and then Paul W or Team Laup in third place. Now, if you are watching us on YouTube, you will be able to see that we do have the fantastic pick and drive rugby shield. Magnificent so got, shield. We've got, I'm going to, I'm trying to get it so you can sort of see the engravings a little bit. We've got two names <laughs> on there so far. So in 2020, we had uh, Hair Red took out Super Rugby, uh, 2021, sorry, took out Super Rugby AU. Last year, we had Kirando took out Super Rugby Pacific in the tipping comp. So this year for 2023, Jojo Rabbit will have his name nicely engraved on this shield somewhere. So just a bit of a shout out, I guess, if you do want to get involved and join in, we do have the Rugby Champs coming up. We do have the World Cup. So there's going to be lots of opportunities to get involved. Um, I finished up 133. Lockie, where did you finish on the table? Just snuck ahead of you, Mitch. 121 uh, with four rounds of no tipping. You still weren't able to close that gap. But in fairness, away teams actually went all right for that last round. We picked up two. So uh, quick shout out to Jojo Rabbit, though. I haven't seen him lower than three for the entire season. That's an awesome tipping effort. So well done, mate. Thoroughly deserved. And looking forward to World Cup tipping as well. Keen to see some Uruguay action, a bit of Namibia, Los Lobos, some of the good teams <laughs> popping up. It's going to be exciting. And one thing we do have to, I guess, fix up for next year, because I don't know if it seems fair when you realize that if you don't put your tips in, you automatically get the home team. Um, or is it the away team? Which way did it fall? You get, you get the away team straight away. The away team. So this ended up, you got two this weekend and you didn't put any <laughs> tips in. And I put my tips in and only got one right. So... I might have to put in a formal protest there and, and see what they, we can sort out. <laughs> it's a very bra- brave final round performance from you. Yeah, one one right. So I was going for the upsets, hoping to sort of climb my way back up the table. But with uh, the Aussie performances, that's definitely not where we got to. So um, a bit of a, before we finish off and start into the podcast this week, as always, we have two simple calls to action. So our first one is to join our Discord channel, be part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is anywhere on our social media profiles. So that one is a good opportunity to just chat rugby. Uh, If you're watching the game, you can have it open and flick through some of the different forums we've got there. Lots of opportunities to talk about news, player signings, all that sort of stuff. We're pretty uh, vocal in there. So you can chat with both Ando and myself and and some of the other guys we've got in our fantasy tipping comps as well are are focused in there. So do, um, do get involved, particularly with the World Cup and the rugby champs coming up. It's a good time of year where all Australian te- all Australian fans can put away their Waratahs, Reds, uh, Force jerseys and all talk about the Wallabies and sort of have share the same points of view, which is always a fun thing. Um, and then the last call of action is please consider going to www.coffee.com forward slash pick and drive and supporting off with a one-off or monthly payment. So um, everything we do in the podcast, we do for the love of rugby. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So if you do want to um, put in a, a one-off tip and, and support us and help us, uh, I guess, fund the trophies for the tipping comp and all that sort of thing. Do um, <clears throat> do go there and, and consider doing that. So um, for the people that have done that in the past, we do appreciate that and we thank you. So um, you help keep the lights on, you help, help keep us going week in, week out. So thank you to everyone there. Um, I think I've spoken enough. Shall we just dive into the rugby content now? Let's rip straight in. Let's go. All 
Welcome back and we'll get things started quickly before we jump into our Super Rugby with a bit of Aussies Abroad updates and some general news starting over in France for the top 14. So they are through to the semi-final stage in uh, France and there's four teams left, obviously, with Bordeaux, uh, La Rochelle, Toulouse and Racing 92. So there's a couple of Aussies who'll be in the mix there. Bordeaux has Kane Douglas and Zach Holmes. Um, they're through to their semi-final after knocking over, oh, who was it? Doesn't matter because they're through now. Uh, so they'll be taking on La Rochelle. So Will Skelton and the menagerie of large championship winning players that they've got there. Toulouse have Richie Arnold, um, obviously who's been in the mix for Wallaby selection um, over his brother Rory, which has been interesting. And they'll be up against Racing 92, who don't have any Aussies, but they do have the ridiculously good uh, Scottish fly half, whose name currently eludes me. Help me Finn out Russell. here, Mitch. Finn Russell. That's the one. Is he going to play just... next week? I don't know, because he's been ripping and tearing, but there was the big see... scare with him. Um, yeah, the, the... The, lo- the Kremer red card. Yeah. It was, big, a, big, it was a big tough Argentine one. So I'm sure I just smashing go. him in the ruck. Oh, it was bad. But, I mean, you're probably looking at a Toulouse-La Rochelle final. They've been far and away the best over there. And I'm I'm not going to be that surprised if we see Will Skelton winning another title. So, at this point, he's walking into a wall of his jersey in most people's eyes. But that's I mean, the, the situation more, in France. The more Aussies we've got lifting trophies around the world, the better, right? Regardless well, winning's of the habit, so let's bring in those people yep. who are used to it. And we'll yep. go from there. There was one final game in the top 14, actually. There was the relegation game uh, with Perpignan, who were right at the bottom of um, top 14 ladder up against Grenoble, who topped the Pro de Deux. And Perpignan was spe- uh, has been spearheaded, uh, that's a loose term if they're not going so great, by former Reds fly half um, Sam McIntyre. So he ended up having a really good game in that knockout and um, all relegation and got them through, scored a try, had a yellow card, but that's all right. We'll leave that one in the we'll, dust. We'll forget that. So interesting to see how they go over there. Um, UIC and the Prem have obviously wrapped up uh, with Sarries winning the Prem and Munster winning the URC. A uh, couple of movements now, though. So the biggest one for Aussies would be to know that Sam Carter, uh, probably, is he a 50-cap Brumby and a handful of tests for the Wallabies if in the second more. row? He's yeah, been, if not more. Yeah, yeah. He's been captaining Ulster over there sort of on and off, but he's actually been picked up uh, to meet up with Dan Palmer and Dan McKellar over at Leicester Tigers through the Brumbies connection. So Leicester's picking up a really good Aussie second rower, um, all of whom seem to be overseas. Mitch, I'm seeing a trend here of all these <laughs> tall timbers running around in the UK and Europe. It's just the money that they, they appreciate those guys over there. We don't seem to appreciate them as much in Australia, no matter how good you're playing as a second rower you're still not getting the fan, the praise that you do over in Europe. So all power to them, I guess. Absolutely. Oh, the tie t- five heroes over in Europe. But yes, good on Sammy Ulster. I'm not sure how long that deal's been signed for yet, but he's certainly been enjoying his footy and going well, which is good there's, to see. There's some interesting movings happening over with London Irish at the moment. There's talks and whispers that they're potentially facing the axe as well, not played players for a number of weeks and financial situations mm. going on. Over there, we yeah, do it looked, know it that... looked like they were going the. It looked like they were going the way of Worcester and the Wasps. Um, they've been given an extension for a week. Um, I read it over the weekend, so they've got a little bit of time to get their finances in order. Uh, I think there's new ownership that's looking to come in over this. You know, next. Gee, it's probably only down to three or four days now by the time yeah. this goes to air for them to you know, get their get their stuff together. 
but they've got a handful or more than a handful over there. You've got Rob Simmons. Uh, you've got Joe Powell over at London Irish as well. I think there's a few more floating about. A few years um, ago, they were definitely like the junior wallabies of in a, in a regard. They had so many players over there playing for them. They did. They did. And again, second rowers. They're all over there. Adam Coleman was with London Irish as well. You had James Horwell recently um, with the Quins, I'm pretty yep. sure, before he finished up. Yep. It's just a it's a reverse breeding ground. They're all going there for greener pastures at the back end of their career. But, yeah, interesting to see how London Irish pans out. And I wonder if we'll see any of those um, three back over. I hear that Rob Simmons is heading to France. Yep. But Adam Coleman and Joe Powell, who knows, maybe we'll see them back in Well, um, the big Australia one for Cohen me is uh, what's, uh, Ollie... Hoskins, oh, Ollie Hoskins. Yeah, yeah Ollie Hoskins who made in the front his... row, one cap, one cap Wallaby. One cap Wallaby. He could, he could be handy about... over in he... Western Australia. Yeah, he was, and he played a couple of seasons for the Force. There have been whispers of him heading back over there. I'd say they'll get louder um, as soon as we have a resolution one yeah. way or another from uh, London Irish. But yeah, interesting to see because that competition is touted as being this you know, really strong English domestic comp. We don't need other countries, but now you've had three clubs, you know, really wobbling and wavering over the I past saw this season great, alone. I saw this great post on Twitter the other day that said, like, the the Premiership in England. It said the most competitive comp- rugby competition in the world? Question mark. And it had the last four years in four different teams that had won it. So we had Saracens, we had Harlequins, we had, I think, was it Sale and someone else? And all the comments oh, it would were be like Br- Br- Brist- Bristol and Queens, yeah. And, and all the comments underneath were like, maybe the most competitive, but when you kick three teams out in the space of a year and a half, <laughs> let's just get the financial sorted first before we start boasting about that. I just had a chat. Yeah, I think, I think that's rugby brass trying to toast their own horn a little. Um, but yeah, I saw, I saw that one too. It's interesting to see. But, you know, as we're about to touch into, you know, Super Rugby isn't doing itself any favours after the, the final round that we saw. <laughs> but we'll, we'll um, wrap up the Aussies abroad on a slightly more positive note. And that's to say that the domestic and regular season that our Wallaroos have had over in the Premier 15s has been amazing. So unfortunately, the Quinns trio of M Chancellor, Caitlin Laney and Arabella McKenzie, they will not play finals. They finished up fifth. Um, But Exeter with Laurie Kramer and Michaela Leonard before she came back to the force, um, they've been carving up. They've just wrapped up second spot on the ladder. So they'll get a home semi-final against Saris. And their final game of the season, which was played this past weekend, they thumped the minor premiers by 40 points. So they're in a really good vein of form. So we could potentially have Laurie Kramer coming back to Australia ahead of the pack four with a title under a belt, which would be such a cool thing to see. Um, Joining the likes of Sarah Nagama, Georgia Cormick is winning trophies abroad, which is super, super cool for the game. But also with our Quins um, wrapping up early, very strong chance and strong indications that we'll see Caitlin Laney, Arabella McKenzie and M Chancellor in Wallaroos colours by the Blackburns test. No guarantee that they crack the 23 though, is there? There's such competition for spots oh. at the moment. You I don't know. They've past been, I reckon Caitlin Laney and Arabella McKenzie were in the Premier 15's team of the week four times out of five. Whenever I check through, those two in particular have been braining it there's a huge competition around the flankers role so i'd say m's you know going to be in a tight tussle but caitlin leaning in the second row and bringing someone in to steer the ship crucial for the wallaroos heading into that black ferns test and who doesn't want laurie kramer in the team legend that's right yeah 
definitely. Which is awesome. We'll quickly jump into some news now. Uh, and the main one that we want to have a look at are the re-signings that have been announced in the past week. Obviously, we haven't been um, on air, haven't given you an episode for eight days now. So there's been plenty of water under the bridge when it comes to re-signings. And there are four big ones that have been confirmed all the way through to the end of 2025, all four of these. So we've got um, Throbber Robertson, Tom Robertson over at the Force. He signed a really interesting two-year mm. deal that includes a sabbatical to head over to Oxford to pick up his upteenth master's degree or whatever he's doing over there. Um, we've also got Lange Gleeson signed through to 2025, the end. Caden Neville has signed through to the end of 2025. And the touch point that I'd love to get your thoughts on, Mitch, <laughs> is Suli Vunivalu signing a two-year extension through to the end of 2025. Is he now Eddie Jones' pet project? Is this the hill that he's going to die on? Without a doubt, he's got to be, right? I I was really surprised when I saw this email come through from RA. I did not expect to see Sully sticking around. I have question marks whether he'll even make the World Cup squad later this year or even the Rugby Champs team if it's based on form. Uh, I know Eddie Jones loves the league and he loves you know taking these players in and giving them experience and coaching them and bringing out their best. So that element might be what gets him across the line. But you wouldn't say his form this year has been outstanding for the Reds. So many injuries. I was pretty certain coming into this season that we'd have an announcement midway through the year that he's switching back to the NRL, going either to Redcliffe or um, back to the Storm or somewhere, just got jumping shit back to the NRL to, to sort of go back to the greener pastures over there in his mind. But no, he stuck it out. So... All credit to him. He he does. He's putting his his I guess his mouth where his or his money where his mouth is, and he's giving it another two years. He's really pushing his stake and his claim for the World Cup this year and um, the Lions series in twenty twenty five. So all credit to him. Sticking at the Reds too. Be interesting to see what happens in terms of their makeup of twenty twenty four with who they have coming across as as um, as coach there, and and if he's maybe got some insights into who's coming and that sort of helped him make that decision. But it's a great thing for Australian rugby to have these high-profile players sticking around. Massively. I think, I mean, having Lange Gleeson signed is a huge deal with a young back rower who's got a bit of mongrel about him coming through. Caden Neville, I thought, was a really interesting signing, obviously sticking around with the Brumbies, a more experienced head, and Tom Robertson playing both sides of the scrum and having probably his best year of super rugby that we've seen. Um, in my opinion, he's been massively important for that four side. So it's they're all for me. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, really... a mixed week for Tom Robinson, unfortunately, because he comes out and announces that he's sticking around with the sabbatical, but then also suffers a was it ACL injury or MCL or injures his knee in some regard, and he's basically yeah. out for the rest of the year. So he he won't be going to France, unfortunately, for the World Cup, and that that's a big blow for the Wallabies, particularly with Alan Alatoa also currently on the sideline with injury. Yeah, plus you got Angus Bell and Tanya Latupo still, you know, waiting to return to play. So, you know, Throbber would have been a massive in. And now we're looking at, geez, you know, who are our props? Do we call on a Scott CEO? Do we throw a Hail Mary out to, you know, Ollie Hoskins and see yeah, what he's up we might to? Have to. Harry Johnson Holmes yeah. also injures himself this week um, yeah. for the Waratahs. So he's out as well. So, you know, Eddie Jones has a bit of a, a battle on his hands to get a, a fit front row for that first test in Pretoria in a few weeks. I'll tell you who's a bolter for that. Well, I reckon it's a bolter. Sammy Talakai. Yeah, that's a good shout. He's been he's been playing really, really well, but we'll get into that a little later. Yep. But um, he's been very impressive. So, yes, those are our signings. And also uh, expect some kind of news this week about James Slipper re-signing. 
we've been getting a few little whispers around. It would be great to see him stick around, but um, hoping to get some good news on the James Slipper front shortly. So we'll move now quickly to our sevens program. And there's been a couple of really big ins for our Youth Commonwealth Games sevens squad. So the Youth Commonwealth Games are coming up over in the West Indies uh, later this month. And the sevens team, women's sevens team, is coached by Shannon Parry, which is super awesome, obviously. We've been talking about her retirement and how much she's given to the game and she keeps giving in this coaching role. And she's picked two big names in that squad. We've got Caitlin House who's been killing it for the Tars all year in Super W as a 16-year-old. We've also got Faitala Maleka, who made a Waller's debut against Fijiana. So really excited to see how those two go, along with the rest of the squad later in the year. And our under-20s, our junior Wallabies, have won the junior Bledisloe. They've brought it home on aggregate. We don't care that it's only a two-game series. We scored more points. We don't care that the junior Bledisloe Cup technically doesn't exist, but let's just keep... Drum and keep making noise and keep, you know, flying that flag because we won something. The dynasty, the dynasty starts now, but they were really good games. It was really good to see our junior Wallabies go over. A um, couple of standouts from those. That first game, we won 36-28. We only lost the second by a point. It was 18-19 to at the end, but uh, a couple of Tars and New South Welshman, Teddy Wilson, uh, captaining the side. Obviously, he's been getting some time for the Tars. Uh, young 10, Jack Bowen, having some really good impact. And then a few props, a bit of love to our big boys up the front. Jack Barrett and Massimo De Lutis, um were picked out by Paul Cully in his um, coverage for Sydney Morning Herald as players who really stood up, uh, particularly in that second game, which is great to see us breeding a few more front rowers because it is such an important, important position, particularly Australia-wise, given our... Past proclivity for scrummaging is changing right. now, but it's always good to see um, some front rowers getting brought through the system. So how good for our junior Wallabies? I was also really impressed with Darby Lancaster making the transition from fifteen uh, from sevens into 15s. And uh, I don't remember if he played much of the first test, but in the second test, he was on the wing and he had pretty imp- immediate impact. And, and I was pretty impressed with just his strong ball carry um, as we've sort of come to expect from the sevens program, just having their their knowledge and the uh, confidence with ball in hand to even when they're out wide in defence to be able to go for the pilfer. So again, yeah, all the- another what was that? No, 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 keep going. Sorry, I was going to say another strength of this sevens program. We're seeing these players come back into the fifteens game and have immediate impact, which is awesome. That's it took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to highlight you know the, <laughs> the Tim Anstey's, the Corey Tools. Uh, who are the Lockie Andersons, who've all been really strong for their super franchises this Still year. Peach. Darby Lancaster's got a, a big future, I certainly like to think, down at the Rebels um, in the coming years too. Yep, really exciting to see what he can do down there. So what's next for these under-20s? So coming up for the under-20s is the World Championship. So that's going to be on the, starting on the 24th of June, so creeping up three weeks now, which is super exciting. So they'll be off over in South Africa, um, kicking off their campaign. Um, I haven't got the list of what pool they're in up in front of me, um, but you know we haven't had a really strong campaign at the World Champs since that team You know, with the Harry Wilsons and the Nick Frosts and the Mark Nwanganitawasis that went all the way through to the final and yep. lost to France by a point. So we're desperately chasing an under-20s championship. We've seen how successful countries that can lock in a couple of under-20s championships 
can be further down the line. The South Africans, the New Zealands, and the Frances have been going from strength to strength off the back of those programs. So big shout out to our junior Wallabies. Super excited for their campaign in the coming month and we'll definitely be bringing you updates as they go because it's a massive part of Australian rugby. Do we know if it's on Stan? I was just trying to do a quick quick search and you beat me to it. Well, I, re- I reckon it would be. The last game of that um, uh, Trans-Tasman Junior Bledisloe, quote-unquote, uh, was broadcast on Stan. Um, I think it was a, just before the, or would have been the Canes Crusaders game, uh, the cake tin. So maybe that's yes, why it was yes, put it up. Was. But, yeah. but um, I certainly, I'd certainly like to see um, it broadcast, so fingers crossed. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling through. We've got, uh, I don't know, it's not coming up. Uh, watch this space. We'll, um, we'll let you know. We'll get back to you on that one. But um, yeah, anything else for the new section or can we keep moving and, and dive into Super Rugby for this week? No, let's keep moving. I've had you too long. All right, let's go. All right, it's time to talk some rugby now. So we had the final round of Super Rugby Pacific for 2023, uh, round 15. So let's we had some results not going necessarily in Australia's way, unfortunately. Um, Kiwis are happy, Aussies aren't. I think that's the general takeaway. Fijians are very happy. But uh, general yeah. takeaway from Super Rugby Pacific this year. Uh, we'll run through the results, then we might sort of dive into the overall table and see where everyone finished, and then we'll go game by game. And after that, we'll look at the, the quarterfinals coming up this following weekend. So first game of the weekend, we had the Blues 19 against the Highlanders 9. We then had the Brumbies 33 over the Rebels 17. Fiji Drua absolutely thumped the poor Queensland Reds 41-17 over there in uh, Suva, I think this one was. Um, we then had the Hurricanes with the upset of the round somewhat, uh, 27-26 over the Crusaders. The second upset of the round, and take your pick whether this was more of an upset, were the Moana Pacifica getting their first win of the year over the Waratahs in Sydney, 33-24 there. Michael Hooper's final game for the uh, home game for the, the team in blue, and so that was a bit of an upset on all fronts. And then we had the Chiefs absolutely pummeling the Western Force, 43-19. Um, in the final game of the round in Perth. So we'll dive into some of the, the games in detail in a little bit, but let's look at the overall table and see where teams finished. So why don't you dive through this, Lockie? You read through the, the teams and where they finished, and then we might chat about some of the placings. All righty. So top of the pops, not unexpected. We've got the Chiefs. Uh, they finished uh, with 13 wins and one loss. And then you've got a log jam. Uh, two, three, and four are the Crusaders, Blues, and Brumbies. They've all got 10 wins and four losses, respectively. But uh, bonus points getting the Crusaders up into second for a home quarter and potentially a semi final. The good news for Australian fans is the Brumbies did manage to keep fourth spot with their win over the Rebels. So they will have a home quarter final against the Hurricanes, who finished in fifth. Nine wins, five losses, and that'll be a repeat of last year's quarterfinal uh, GIO Stadium. Coming in sixth, regardless of their loss to Moana, were the New South Wales Waratahs that already had that wrapped up from the previous round with six wins and eight losses. Fiji and Drua coming through with the same win-loss ratio after a big win over my Reds, locking in their first ever finals appearance in just their second season. So exciting to see that, but we'll touch on it in a tick. 
and dragging their feet, their bloated <laughs> carcasses over the finish line, battered and bruised. My poor Queensland Reds, a, a finals record with a five wins and nine losses uh, doesn't make for the best reading. Um, but the main thing out of all that is they've snuck in ahead of the Highlanders. My season-long campaign to make sure that they don't get into the finals has been realised. <laughs> Thank you to the Blues. Um, so the Highlanders finished with the same five to nine win-loss ratio. That's how the force ended up as well in 10th with the Rebels, four wins, 10 losses, bringing in 11th and Moana, Somewhat deservedly, I have to say, coming home with a wet sail, picking up one win for the year over the Tars, but ultimately doesn't make for particularly happy reading for our Australian teams. We've only got one in the top four, two more in the top eight, and we're having some pretty big quarterfinal challenges ahead of us, I'd say, Mitch. But let's look at the games in detail now. All right, let's go back to the results. So... Um, just focusing, I guess, on the New Zealand derby. So we had the Blues over the Highlanders, 19-9, to 9, starting off the weekend, and then the Hurricanes upsetting the Crusaders, 27-26. Were there any kind of major talking points or things that caught your eye in either of these two games? Not particularly. I was not surprised by the Blues getting up over the Highlanders at home. I think the the really cynical part of me thought maybe the Blues would get a tap on the shoulder from NZ Rugby and go, hey, let's let's let this one by the wayside maybe. Let's play let's a couple of benches yeah. and um, <laughs> see if we can get five teams in. But I was very glad uh, as a Reds fan at least and an Australian rugby fan to see that the Highlanders missed out. Hurricanes Crusaders was really interesting for me though. There was lots of hoo-ha, you know, in the game, a few fisticuffs between, you know, yeah. Cody Taylor and Dane Coles having a bit of fun. But it ended up being a really big comeback from the Hurricanes. They overturned that halftime deficit and came home with a wet sail. And it's posing a really big challenge now to the Brumbies in a quarterfinal. That momentum that the Hurricanes now have and beating the Crusaders just before you begin to knock out footy, really ominous signs. There are some uh, injuries that are impacting this Crusaders team at the moment, but from what we've come to expect of the Crusaders over the last few years, they're definitely not in the form that this time of year we let warrants. We've always known them to, even if they've started years slowly, they always seem to come good towards the last three or four rounds of the competition and sort of lead into the finals red hot. We're not seeing that this year, so it'll be really inter- interesting to see how they go next week. We're not jumping too far ahead, but they do play um, the Drewer. And, I mean, that's going to be a big game for them. And you, you'd hope that they can get up for it. Uh, and, geez, wouldn't it be exciting to see an upset Drewer kicking the Crusaders out of Super Rugby Pacific in the quarterfinals? How good would that be? Uh, it would. Be, it is the dream. It's the dream. Honestly, I would rather see the Drewer knock off Crusaders than my Reds beat the Chiefs again. I don't think it would be the one of the best narratives for Super Rugby, but it's a that's a pipe dream. Sending the Drua who have famously travelled poorly all year. They've picked up one win away from home and that was against Moana at Mount Smart in round one. So they are not a travelling side from what we've seen. And the Crusaders at home, yes, they've dropped it by a point to the Hurricanes, but the week prior, as I'm sure you remember, they dished out a great hiding to the Tars. So <laughs> I think the kind of vein of form that they could find themselves in over the next three weeks is a bit scary. And That's so right. is the Chiefs as well. 
Yeah, and that's what that's the other thing about New Zealand teams is they always have an extra level to take it to, which unfortunately the Aussies don't always seem to have or able to reach that level. We have to be playing at our absolute best all the time just to match them, and then they kick it into fourth gear and we're like, where did you get this fourth gear from? This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfair. Uh, focusing a little bit on that first game, the Blues and the Highlanders, the Blues have been interesting the last few weeks. Yes, they've got the win, but they've kind of been coming in and out of games and they haven't really been playing a full 80-minute performance. Do you think that that's going to hamper their progress in the semis and the, in the finals? Absolutely. I think, and we've touched on this a few times throughout the year, the Blues are the best side when they're on, when they're switched on. And to that extent, they're almost the most Aussie of those sides. They have their peaks and their troughs. They've obviously got their strike weapons. You know, Mark Talley is an entire team by himself at this point of the season. But to mine, the Blues are the most likely to drop a game come finals time and not be able to handle the pressure that the Chiefs and the Crusaders can apply. All the Waratahs. All the the Waratahs. And truly, I think the Waratahs have the best shot of an upset rather than the uh, Drua or the Reds at this point. The Blues, if you can catch them early and really put them under pressure without, you know, the, the, I think the fear factor of losing to a close rival in New Zealand, the atmosphere, I think a quarterfinal is actually a pretty good time for the Tars to go over there and just sink absolutely everything into them. So I'm excited to see how these quarterfinals pan out. And I'll hang my hat. Eight teams does make this exciting. It does make it exciting at this point of the season. It gives us more rugby to watch. It gives us that extra week of finals. And how good was it? And we'll get to that in a moment. But how good was it that the Drua, even though they were so far down the table, if we only took the top six, they're not making it. So Mm. how good was it to see that that game actually meant something? And that's, I guess, one of the the points of or the the merits of this eight-team final series. Yeah, for sure. And we will touch on it in that wrap of the game, but that the intensity was electric all through the stadium at Suva, especially um, from halftime onwards as the team began to build into the game and you knew that they were going through to a finals. It was unbelievable. And hopefully one day we'll see a finals game in Suva. That would be awesome. Well, we might do the Aussie games backwards in a sense. So we might start with the force and work our way back because by all credit, the Brumbies game was probably the game of the round, so we'll leave them to mm. last. So the Force 19, Chiefs 43. I somewhat silly now tipped the Force and were hoping that they might be able to keep their their uh, home record alive, but this Chiefs team really have made a, a statement this year and they've shown that you really need to be on your game to to trip them up, and only one team has done that this year, and that's the Reds. Uh, But the Force, geez, they did not come into this game looking like they were there to kind of cause an upset or to really challenge the Chiefs. Not at all. I mean, the Chiefs run in three tries in the opening 20 minutes and it took all the oxygen out of the stadium. There was a really big Chiefs contingent actually in the crowd, which I wasn't expecting. Maybe it's all the Kiwis, you know, jumping on the Chiefs bandwagon and running around. I was surprised there weren't any cowbells. Honestly, like <laughs> um, those and the, all those first three tries were scored right in front of a huge block of them at HBF Park. So it almost seemed like a Chiefs home game at times. It was incredible. But the the team that they rolled out, the Chiefs. Let's quickly go through who they left at home. Nine All Blacks, nine All Blacks left at home. Brad Weber, Brody Retallick, Sam Kane, Luke Jacobson, Damian McKenzie. 
Josh Giovanni, and then, <laughs> the list goes on and on. It's just ridiculous. And plus their starting front row is Aiden Ross and George Dyer. So you're effectively running out of Chiefs B and they still never looked like they were in trouble in that game. They were in total control. Even though the force had 57% possession, they dominated the territory as well. Their counterattack was so strong that they never looked troubled. There was always a double-digit margin from the 20-minute mark. And just the simple errors the force put themselves under, just their poor decision-making, kicks not going out or going out on the full, just it, it seemed like nothing was going their way this game. Max Bury scored that fantastic opportunistic try where he sort of kicks oh, it through, right. um, going for the 50-22 and then ends up keeping it in and scores off it. But apart from that, like there was some really poor defense shown by the force this game. And it, it's worrying um, for them that they weren't able to get up and, and sort of put in a good performance for their last home game of the year in front of their sea of blue. I wonder how much of that is the fatigue factor that we've spoken about previously, Mitch. Well, I know we mentioned after the um, the Rebels game where they got you know pretty well hammered. You know, may how much does that weigh into it? You know, all the travel back and forth across the Pacific, coming across the Nullarbor every time you're not in Perth as well, so it's an extra five hours. They just they didn't look like they were ready to play. They really Did they play last like they week. The start. They, they the Rebels put fifty points in them at Amy Park. Oh, that was last week. Yeah, so they did travel. That was, that was last week. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it, that teams this year aren't able to back it up and that that travel mm-hmm. element is really showing on some teams particularly and particularly the teams that don't have a lot of depth and don't have the mm-hmm. option of bringing in young guys that still have experience like the Drewer and like the Force, um, that when you add that, you know, six hours of travel to get back home, at the beginning of the week, it kind of just saps everything away from you. Yeah, agree. It just looked a little lethargic. And some of those those passing errors where balls aren't going to hand, you know, there was an intercept picked off from Hamish Stewart. Decisions that you don't make when you're fresh. And I feel as though once those first three tries were ran in, you go, okay, this game's packed up. And it wasn't, it wasn't much of a watch, if we're honest. And and it was also like uh, Falau Fainga got close a few times and just dropped the ball on the line yeah. once or twice. So it, it's not that the players weren't trying. It's just that it's sometimes some players weren't, were trying a little bit too hard at times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just felt like things weren't going their way. And when you're going up against the the table leading chiefs who, you know, are, are out to make a statement and want to continue their run into the finals. Well, um, you need to be at your absolute best. Let's keep moving along. And so the second game for the Aussies uh, was the Waratahs getting shocked by Moana, 33-24. This was Michael Hooper's last game, last home game or last game in Sydney for the Waratahs. Um, I was out there for it. Pretty disappointing result by in a lot of ways. What were your thoughts of the game? I was disappointed too. I was disappointed for Hoops. I, I really enjoyed watching some of the Hooper cam, actually. Stan Sport ran a really cool segment where they filmed him the entire game. and watching that man off the ball and his work rate to get back into position to to lead kick chase was incredible. So a bit like the force, you know, I don't think the Tars lost for a lack of trying, especially if we're looking at Michael Hooper. But what really stood out for me in this game was how well Moana disrupted the Tars' set piece, particularly at line-out time. So Moana's coming in as this, you know, 
perceived unstructured team they haven't won a game so they're desperate but their lineup was really strong and the Tars ended up operating at about barely 70% so they were picking off one in four and so much pressure that Moana was able to build came off set piece which I don't think the Tars were expecting there was an interesting stat that came out or um, a question I think it was in one of the post-game interviews potentially within Hannigan comes to mind that they sort of asked him, you know, the set piece, the, the line-out particularly wasn't firing this week. What do you put that down to? And he made a comment that was quite confusing. It was like, yeah, we actually recognize that in ourselves in the week leading into it. So at training, we realized that we probably weren't quite on and we weren't able to overcome that. And so that is really kind of worrying that they went into the game knowing that that was an area of weakness and that that, that was somewhere that they might have been exploited and they definitely were and weren't able to overcome that. That's interesting. How much do you think comes down to complacency as well? I mean, the Tars had six locked up. They couldn't go higher. They couldn't go lower. You're playing against a Moana team who is beyond desperate for a win as well. So it's kind of the perfect storm for things to go wrong if they're not right from the start of that week too. There was a question asked of DC in the press conference after the game of, do you think some players were looking ahead, looking at the quarterfinal next week? And his response to that was, we spoke about it in the lead up in our in our preview uh, meeting on Monday or Tuesday. We kind of said if your if your head is in uh, the quarterfinal next week, then you're not you shouldn't be here right now. We have a game. We need to focus on this, and so that's what our focus needs to be. Uh, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that it worked. Just saying that, and evidently it didn't. Some mm-hmm. of those players, selection issues aside, players played poorly across the board. Mm. It wasn't just one or two players that had an exceptionally bad game. I don't think anyone really, unfortunately, played all that well for the Waratahs. Um, And the worrying thing is that this has happened a few times this season for the Waratahs. Coming into that first game, they hyped up the, you know, the homecoming, the game against the Brumbies that we want to start this year well. We're going to beat the Brumbies. We're going to have a run at home. We're going to do really well. And they lost that game. And you could see that heads dropped and that they weren't able to mentally overcome that. And that's why their performance for the next few weeks was really, was really down. Um, again, they sort of put a lot of emphasis on this, this game is Michael Hooper's last game at home. We want to put in a big performance for him. It was their biggest, unfortunately, in some ways, it was their biggest crowd of the year. So big that they actually opened the second tier of Allianz Stadium, which they haven't done all year. It's always been just the, the bottom ring. So that mm. was cool to get there and be able to get a different vantage point as a fan. Um, but then they didn't show up again and they didn't show up in round one against the Brumbies. And so that's where questions start, need to start being asked of, is it preparation thing? Is it a warm up thing? Is it, what, what is it that's just not allowing these players to be ready when that whistle goes at 7.30 on a Saturday night? That's a really interesting point heading into it because I actually thought that the Tars started okay. I thought the first probably 20 to 30 minutes was really competitive. There was a bit of back and forward. I think Moana got a lot of energy from that first, you know, break off the kickoff. You've suddenly got Levi Omoa running 60 metres and everyone's thinking, oh, this is it. Jeez. They're going to score. Um, but oh, it, was ter- it was terrifying. But, I mean, we were able to get back, the Tars were able to get back into the game. Um, you had, you know, the Walton kick for Marky's try was really good. There were some bright, sparking moments. And then second half, it just fizzled. It just fizzled a little bit. 
it felt like uh, particularly sort of 35 minute mark, the, the momentum swung Moana's way and the Waratahs yeah. weren't able to get that momentum back. They weren't able to, they, yeah. you could see that certain players were trying to do big things. Michael Hooper didn't stop all night. The full 80 minutes, he was making big hits. He was carrying the ball. Even at the end of the game there, when the game's really on the line and, and the bonus point, the losing bonus point, which realistically at this point doesn't mean anything, but Michael mm-hmm. Hooper takes it upon himself. They get close to the line and try to score. They don't end up doing it. They get a penalty, kick to the corner, take the mall. Michael Hooper himself gets the ball at the back of the mall and pushes the team himself over the line to get the points, scores the last try, uh, basically last play of the game, which is just so Michael Hooper that, you know, the I'll do it mentality. Um, I don't like really calling out individual players, but there's definitely something positionally and sort of tactically wrong with Ben Donaldson at the moment. And he just did not look comfortable at all this game. Um, And the disappointing thing was that Michael Hooper scores that try. They need to convert that try to come within seven points to get the losing bonus point, and he misses the kick. And so that kind of, for me, just sums up Michael Hooper's last few years with the Waratahs of, I will do everything I can to get this team over the line, and someone else lets it down for him. Yeah, I think in Dono's case as well, he was probably not on the, not at his best, but he was outshunned by a former Aussie player in Christian Liliofano who had a blinder in his possible, I don't know how long his contract for Moana, but he had a cracking game. He scored that really good try in the second half that really started driving the nail home in the 61st minute. That little just, runaway no try where just no one wanted to touch him. Like he no just kept going. No one wanted to him. Yeah, Marky Mark jumps up for a dummy that was, you know, barely from the hip and then everyone just stood off him. It was like a guard of honour all the way through to the line and then you've got... Like this way, sir. You know, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> for you. And then you've got, you know, five minutes later, Miracle Failing, he goes across for a try that was definitely a forward pass. Oh. You'd have to say that second Failing yeah. try. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, we won't, uh, we won't get into the... How good is, like, Liliofano this season, he's been, I wouldn't say he's back to his, you know, Wallaby's best form, but he's, mm. he's definitely back to good form. And there are talks that he might feature for, I think, think Tonga at this World Cup or Samoa. For, um, for Samoa, yeah. Samoa, yeah. There's talks that he might be lacing the boots up for Samoa. So that'll be um, pretty cool to see him going to his second World Cup with his different team than last time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, isn't that what the whole you know international eligibility is about? It's getting these smaller nations who don't have the availability and the depth of player to come back to where their roots are and having you know, Leliafano steering a Samoan side around yeah, it would be so good to see for the game and for our Pacific community as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if he can't if he does play the World Cup for Samoa, if that kind of is it and he calls time on his career. Um, mm. Nothing officially announced at this point, but he's been such a fantastic player for so long that I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of end it there. Was there anything else you want to say about this game or shall we move into the somewhat disappointing Reds game? Ah, uh, well, well, come on. Come on, let's Rip tackle the, the Reds now. 41-17 to the Fiji drawer over the Queensland Reds. Not only was it a victory, but it was a bonus point victory. The Reds didn't concede a point in the second half. It was 17 all at half, or yeah, 17 all at half time. Mm-hmm. What happened in that second half? What? How did this Fiji team just completely run away with this game? The Reds were playing against, you know, 15,000 fans as well as the 15 on the field. The 16th man. 
as McBurn oh, likes the, to call the them. The 16th Army, it was incredible. So, I mean, I thought that the first half was pretty evenly balanced, but there was a moment about 30 minutes in where I think we're sitting at about maybe, you know, 17, 14 or 14, 10, and the Drua out of nowhere bust out a tight head and just smash the Reds back and the entire crowd went up in a storm of sound and I thought oh no <laughs> this is it we're, we're in trouble like we're in trouble here and then it, and then it kept happening so a bit like how Moana targeted the red I mean the Tars set piece the Drua ended up smashing the red set piece which has been the the I guess the fulcrum of their attack for the entire year you know, the Reds were operating at 70% for scrum time and about the same at line out. They were just picking them off all day. And that coupled with how well uh, the Drewers outside backs were playing. I mean, yes, they're scoring all the tries and that initial work up front, it's set piece time, allowed them to do that. So 17 all at half time, you're thinking, oh, this is a bit shaky. And then bang. They've run in another three tries in the second half. The Drua had eight line breaks, line breaks to none. The Reds could not bust the line at all in this game. And as soon as um, Fraser McWright went to the bin in the early second half, it was just bang. Game was going to be over from there. Drua were too good to let that opportunity and not capitalise on all the hype that their home crowd were giving them. There was a fair few uncharacteristic errors from the Queensland Reds in this game, particularly in the second half. Uh, James O'Connor dropped a lot of ball, even under with away from pressure. Uh, it kind of looked at times like there wasn't many leaders out there and no one was really sticking their hand up and, and sort of saying, this is the way forward, this is what we need to do. Uh, is that a is that a is that how you kind of read how that second half kind of went fell and went to pieces? I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. There's a lot missing without Lamb Wright out there. I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big Lamb Wright fan, and I think he probably would have been in the mix for Wallabies if I'm honest after the season that he'd had. But his his voice and his calm and his demeanour was really missed in that second stanza. You've got Tate McDermott, you know, running around sniping all the time. Jock was having a bit of an off day. The James O'Connor, sorry, and the, you're right about the handling as well. It I don't know whether it was storming or whether it was just greasy or well i think was it was raining out. and hot and humid so it was together steamy it was off a... the field yeah it was horrendous conditions but yet the drawer running around chipping things regathering on the fly um i just honestly it was it was fate for the drawer to win that game and win it well and the way that it's panned out has seen both teams go through to the finals so you can't knock it too badly I'm not sure what's worse for the Reds you know, to face the Chiefs or the Crusaders in that semi, but the Drew are thoroughly deserved it. Um, they played brilliantly, and a big shout-out has got to go to Celestino Rabatamunda, who has been so good on the wing all year, but in the past couple of weeks has found himself at fullback and was untouchable, untouchable. I think he had three line breaks, scored a try. He had that charge down at the very start of Felipe Dalgunu that just switched the crowd on straight away. He is going to be a real star. I'd love to see him. Love to see him in a flying Fijian jersey at the World Cup. That's going to be really exciting to see how many of these Drua players do transition across to the flying Fijians. Um, And you would imagine that it's a pretty strong backline or 
pretty strong sort of tingent of players that form that. And then you get the sprinkling of semi Redrajo and, um, and some of those other foreign players that come in and, it's a bit scary to think about it as a Wallabies fan sitting here and thinking of the it's team. It's so that scary. You've got, yeah, you've got Levani Bonnier over at um, La Rochelle. You've, Penny Ravi has been playing well for the Reds, but people like Radradra coming in. Um, Tomosi Tavatavanawai over at Moana, who's just a monster, comes in on form. They're, they're a stacked side, Fiji. And if Eddie Jones is looking at that pool game, that's the one I'm circling as the danger game. It's not Wales. Wales will be tough, but Fiji is the one where you're going, we need to get this in the bag. So James O'Connor was named this week at fly half, and that was uh, a decision by Brad Thorne to kind of bring his experience closer to the ball. It didn't really work. What do you think they do next week moving forward, uh, next week into the, the quarterfinal? Do, do they shift him back to 12 and bring Tom Liner into 10? Is that kind of the way you see that that's going to go? In their position, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be putting Jock back to 12 because that's what worked against the Chiefs a couple of weeks back when they won. Jock had a really, really good game there. And when Tommy Liner was on, he did a really good job as well. So I think you need that midfield anchor. Hunter Paisami, for me, didn't quite do a job there at 12. He was really willing. He ran hard. He enjoyed that contact. But I think to match it with the Chiefs and the guile that they have in their back line, you need a James O'Connor in the centre of the field gluing that together. So for mine, James O'Connor plays 12 against the Chiefs to give us any kind of sniff. Interesting. Let's see what happens and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we preview the quarters shortly. Uh, the last Aussie game of the weekend saw the Brumbies 33 over the Melbourne Rebels 17. Now, the Rebels were in this for the first maybe 15 minutes of the game um, and then things started to fall to pieces. The Rebels lost both of their hookers uh, in the first half. Jordan Walesi went off with a neck injury and then uh, Alex Murphy, I think, also went off for a HIA and failed it. So that resulted in the last 45 minutes or so being played with uncontested scrums. The, the Rebels look good at parts in that first sort of opening 10, 15 minutes, but the Brumbies realistically weren't ever troubled in this game. Um, do you think that's a, a fair estimate of how things played out? Bang on. I, as soon as Corey Tool scores that try in the 16th minute, you're starting to see the, the gap in class. But you mentioned that Ulessi, you know, heading off, ironically. Um, that was a shocking tackle attempt. It was that grass cutter style that we've seen be penalised quite heavily previously. And I know he's, you know, knocked himself out just about and was taken off the field. But for mine... That's got to go. That's mm. got to get out of our game. He almost tried to you know, take a bite out of um, Caden Neville's knee, the way that it was flying at him with his head <laughs> down, no arms. Well, it's really, ends up it's like, really dangerous. He, he, hits, he makes connection with his, his knee or his hip and then he's out cold and then lands on his head and momentum no. sort of carries him over it. So I haven't seen – he was up walking later in the game, so he definitely mm. didn't do too bad an injury, but it wasn't a good look and he had potential there to really hurt himself quite badly. And, and, hurt, and hurt Neville as well. It's just poor tackle technique. His head's down. He's diving forward towards the ground and no arms. I mean, that's that's shocking defense. There's so only one the more... instance where you should be allowed to do that, and that's if you've got an afro like Tatafi Plotter now that's kind of acts as like a cushion for both players. It, it does, and it also channels the energy behind you. Yeah. 
which is which is critical. God, I missed a tofu. Um, but it's it, I, I, it's a real pet peeve of mine seeing those no arms grass cutters in sort of tight pick and drive situations. Mm. It's so dangerous for the defender, for the attacker, and I'm not going to say that it's deserved that he knocked himself out, but no. clearly, if you're applying the wrong tackle technique bad things can happen. And that's why so, it's wrong, isn't it? Because you end yeah. up hurting yourself. Um, if we keep yeah. moving on, there, there's a hit a little bit later in the game, almost a similar situation uh, on Andrew Kellaway. Now, Nick White comes into the breakdown. He's trying to clear Andrew Kellaway out, who's come through the breakdown, and connects him in the, he- in the head with his knee. Now, mm. from what it looked like on the screen, Andrew Kellaway basically lost consciousness straight away sort of fell to the ground and, and Nick White standing there the yelling, pointing at him at the referee. I haven't heard any sort of carry on from that, whether he's been cited or it's been reviewed, but do you think that that needs to be looked at a little bit more? I, th- I think any head contact of a significant nature, especially on a hard surface, like a hip knee needs to be reviewed straight away. I just think it's player safety first and foremost. I didn't actually catch that one. Um, you haven't seen it. I'll have to send you the clip and get you to, to see what you think. I, yeah, I've seen a few me- things on Twitter going around about it from people who have seen yeah. it. Um, but I think it's just player safety at that point. And we've seen those little inconsistencies through the scenes and where you know, players who could have significant injuries haven't been looked at. Others have been milking that time. And I know that referees are you know getting the waters off and moving the game along, which is great. But player safety still has to be the most important aspect of our game. It's something that we probably excel over other codes at, especially around the concussion space, but we need to keep improving rather than be stagnant. And the last injury thing that we'll talk about before we move into the actual game and talk about some of the highlights, but Nick Frost, did you see, did you see the injury that he, the knee injury or the the knee injury? Like what was that? That, Hurts him, oh. like a hyperextends his knees on the ground, rolling around in what appeared to be pain. The physio comes on and does some kind of magic on his knee and he gets up and plays on. Oh, magic water, a bit of magic spray. Those used to talk about that. Um, I just, it looked so nasty to me. It really looked uh, anything bad. Anything to do with your joints bending the wrong way, no good, no good in my book. So great to see him up and running again. But um, yeah, whatever that medic's dishing out, let's get some. Let's get some into Tupo. That might help his uh, World Cup campaign. Uh, but apart from that, the Brumbies really, they looked pretty clinical in parts in this game and the, and the Rebels kind of allowed that in a lot of ways. They scored a lot of their points from counter-attack and just simple errors made by the Melbourne Rebels. Uh, do you think this game was a good uh, a good time? Like it came in the season well for the Rebels, lead, uh, for the Brumbies, sorry, leading into the finals. Do you think that this sets them up well or do you think that they might have benefited a little bit more playing maybe a, a team like, say, the Blues or the Crusaders? I, th- I think it's a good time for them because they need confidence going into finals. You, you're coming up against probably a very brash, a very confident Hurricane side coming off a Crusaders win. And to be able to not be at your best, but still put five tries on the Rebels is important. And you mentioned the counter-attack. They were really good at picking off those passes and coming through. I think it was the just after halftime, the full-length try um, from a handling error, and Tom Wright ends up going in the corner. Like a Which is his first try. Around. That was his first try at GAO this year. I mean, the form wow. that he's been in this season, the fact that he's not scored more tries for the Brumbies at home is, is almost criminal. That's outrageous. Oh, God, I have no idea. That's a great stat. 
Um, Corey yeah, Tall's been scoring as well. Yeah, that's true. He's been hogging them all. Um, but yeah, Tom, I mean, and Tom Wright goes over when realistically you're seeing an overlap for the Rebels, they should be scoring. Bang, two try turnaround. And then five minutes later, Ollie Sapsford goes, you know, through that gap. Um, I think Muirhead ends up scoring the try. Um, oh no, that was the one at the end, but Sapsford goes over. You know, they're, they're long range tries from errors that have probably typified the Rebels season. You know, they're pushing, they're getting to the line and it's that last decision that always seems to cruel the Rebels and the Brumbies were good enough to pick that off. So that's a really good sign because we know in knockout footy, chances become limited. You're probably not going to have the same space. So it's about picking off those opportunities. And if the Brumbies can do that, it's a really good warm-up for the Hurricanes coming along next week. Uh, Focusing a little bit on the Rebels, it was a disappointing end to their season. Uh, They finished in 10th place. Uh, They had, if I just skip ahead... Looking at the the screen here, they've only got four wins. Now, that's not a true representation, I think, of their season. They've been in a lot of games. They've been in games a lot more than that final result sort of shows. They've played some really good football. They've been a really great team to watch this year. Uh, this is probably the first year in a long time that we can sort of confidently say that this Melbourne Rebels team qualifies being in Super Rugby Pacific, and I know that sounds horrible and saying we need to have five teams as an, as as Australia, but the Rebels have played really exciting football and they're the type of team that you want to tune in and watch week in, week out, the way they've played this, this year. 33-17, not an accurate representation of how good this team has been this season and how good they can be. But again, like we saw earlier in the year, they only need one or two injuries and their game plan goes out the window. We saw this earlier in the season too when they lost Jordan. They lost both of their hookers, and they just weren't able to compete at the set piece. I think in that in that first round, in that first time this happened, Sam Talakai shifted into into hooker, and so they were able to keep contesting at the breakdown and uh, sorry at the scrum time and contesting in the lineouts. But this week they didn't choose to do that decision and they went to non contested scrums. But this at this level you can't you can't afford to not have your best. 15 on the field at all times and you can't afford to not have a hooker playing hooker. We saw it when it came to set piece time at line out time that Richard Hardwick twice in a row got penalized for not throwing the ball straight and did the same thing both times. Yeah. You got, you got to feel for Dickie Hardwick there. You know, he's been best, one of the best loose forwards in the comp all season. And now you're saying, you know, now you fix your set piece. Come on, let's have a throw. Um, yeah. You're right about the rebels. They've been, in patches, the most entertaining team in Super Rugby, period. And you saw glimpses of it against the Brumbies. You know, Matt Gibbon getting on the outside and then having your loose head prop through a beautiful ball to Carter Gordon. was it's, it's champagne footy and they can do it. It's really good to see. But the depth will continue to be an issue. And until, personally, I feel until there's a strong Dewar Shield competition mm. and a domestic comp in Melbourne, it's going to be really tough. I know that there's Rebels, you know, who are playing in the Shoot Shield or playing in Hospital Cup on their off weeks, but you've got to start developing that game, that second tier level in Melbourne to a higher standard. And we're not going to see the Rebels be able to pull up players and have that depth that the, you know, the Kiwi teams have until we've got a healthy, healthier domestic competition down there. It's exciting looking forward to 2024 for the Rebels and seeing the players that they've got coming back or coming um, coming home to Melbourne. So Taniela Tupo's on his way down. Trevor Hosea's 
uh, sorry, not Trevor Hosea, um, Lucan Salakai Loto. Uh, Lu- mm-hmm. Trevor Jose is off, isn't he? He's off to Europe. He, he's off. He's off to Japan. Japan. Yeah. So, um, Salakai Loto, who's the other one? There's one other player that they've got coming. It's escaping me now. Do you know? Well, they got, they got Matty Phillip leaving as well yeah. off to um, Cannon Eagles. So it's a bit of a you know, sliding doors moment and swinging doors. Tupo's a huge in for the Rebels for next year. I mean, we talk about their their front row um, depth and having their hookers, you know, being covered across. Having at his day the world's best tight head is a huge in, a huge in for the Rebels. So massive, you expect massive things from there. And there's a couple of, you know, previous Queensland connections with, you know, the likes of Alex Murphy down there as well. So they're not new combinations. They've got a good platform to start with. And having Taniella down there brings a real spark to the game in Melbourne. He's probably the most marketable wallaby at the moment there is. I mean, they're running for all the stand previews. <laughs> all the kids down in Tassie just loved him, adored him. And, you know, he's, he's a like household a big teddy name. bear. You just want to give him a cuddle. No, he's, he's yeah, 100, 100 plus, what are we going to say, buck 40, I reckon, running around <laughs> when he's fully fit. And it's awesome to see. So he's a highlights reel as well. And him and being able to engage with the Melbourne community is going to bring more media to the Rebels. It's going to bring more coverage overall and it will bring more interest. So I'd love to see you know, a fully fit Rebel side with Tupo at the helm, with these rising seven stars coming through, um, with returning players oh, like Salaka Lancaster, yeah. And Derby Lancaster, yeah. I, I, would, I, just, I would love to see a packed Amy Park for a Rebels game. That's such an important thing for Australian rugby to see this franchise that's much maligned, if we're honest, they've copped mm. a lot since they've come into the competition. You know, why are you in Melbourne? Why will this work? Bums on seats and wins fixes everything. So Tupo there is a big part of that. Um, building on that point, I think the important thing for them moving forward is, yes, they've got a good 15 and that they've got some players now that are going to add to the current 2023 team. Um, without the team, the players that are leaving, it's going to be that next level, like you mentioned before, getting those players who, once they get one or two injuries, who are going to step into that position, um, step into the second row, step into fly half if need be, step into fullback that have the experience and are mm-hmm. super rugby level, which is going to be so important for them. Because at the moment, they have players like Andrew Kellaway, and when he's there, he's great, and he deserves all the, the time that he can get. But the guy that comes in over the, the top of him when when Kellaway's injured isn't really at super rugby level at the moment, and that's when they struggle. And if you've got two or three injuries in a game and that's happening and you're losing your star players off the field, that's when your game plan goes to poop. And that's what we saw this week. Yeah. Just quickly as well, massive shout-out to Reese Hodge. 100 games to the Rebels, the, fir- the club's first ever centurion. Didn't get the send-off he deserved. You know, he cops a yellow card in his 100th game. And I would, I would have loved to see him go off with a win, but massive achievement being the club's first centurion. He's going to be very sorely missed, not only from the Rebels, but from Australian rugby. You know, he's the Mr. Fix-It. You know, he's won us games at fly half. He's won us games on the wing and at centre. And I know he's been a victim of his versatility, but he will be missed when he goes to Bayonne. So congratulations. And I guess that's a little bit of a theme of the Australian round that was round 15 for Super Rugby Pacific this week, that we had two massive players for the Wallabies and for Australian rugby, Reese Hodge and Michael Hooper, playing their last home game or playing their last games or home games for their club. 
um, and you would have loved to have seen them. Their teams put in big performances for them, send them off winners. But unfortunately, as has been the case for the last few years in Australian rugby, they go out losing. So it's unfortunate and it is kind of where we sit as Australian rugby fans at the moment, sort of hoping that we can put in a better performance for the, the guys that have put their blood, sweat and tears into the game for so long. Um, but all the best and thank you to both Michael Hooper and Reese Hodge, both Manly boys. Um, so a lot of talent from Manly, from New South Wales and Sydney out there in the world doing big and better things for Australian rugby is, is awesome. Good to see as well. Um, let's now look at the quarterfinals and what's coming up. So the first quarterfinal this coming Friday is the Blues versus the Waratahs. Now this is hosted by the Blues. This is being played in Auckland at Amy at um, Eden Park. Sorry, massive ground, massive opportunity for the Waratahs here. Few injuries from this week that are going to really shape how the Wall the Waratahs structure their team for this game. Do you think realistically the Waratahs have any chance of going and causing an upset? It's a long shot. It's a long shot. I think they've got a better chance than the Reds and the Chiefs on current form, but there was not a heap in that Tars game that gives me hope and inspiration that they're going to come over and do a job uh, at Eden Park, which is you know, famously a tough place to win games for Australian sides. I think that there is a chance if they are able to apply really strong pressure through their defensive line speed and take the space away from their outside backs. That's going to be hugely important when you've got, you know, a Caleb Clark, a Rico Ioane, a Mark Talia running around. So line speed and just sheer bloody-minded grit um, in defence will go a long way to keeping the Tars in this game. Can, can you find a, a spark of hope in your diehard blue heart for an upset over there? If I'm Darren Coleman right now, so we're recording this on Monday night in Sydney. So tomorrow morning, I walk into Tars HQ as Darren Coleman. I say, all right, boys, sit down. This is the game plan. Mark Talea, get him off the park. Do it legally, but do what you have to do because he is a one-man rugby team at the moment. If you can shut him down, we're probably in with a crack. So that's where I'd be targeting. It'd go a long way. It would go a long way to it. And then you only have to worry about Bowden Barrett, Dalton Papali'i, uh, the rest of the the rest of the it's like we've got a list, guys. We're going to go 15, 14. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, like, seriously, the Waratahs are going to have to play at their absolute best and they're going to have to put in a performance of the season to kind of come close to the Blues. The one optim... Op, op, a bit of optimism I have is that when the Waratahs have their best team on the field, they have shown that they can put in good performances this season. They can push teams. That that game down in Canberra, what was it, two months ago now, uh, mm. when they pushed the Brumbies right to the end, well, they actually, they led the game and the Brumbies just came through and won it at the end there. If they can put in a performance like that, they can push the Blues. They are capable of doing it. The worry is that we have a big injury toll at the moment and we haven't had the cohesive approach to the game that I would have preferred. So... Jake Gordon suffered HA last week, so he's out this week. Harry Johnson-Holmes is injured. Isaiah Parisi is most likely injured and not going to be able to play. Uh, we don't know yet whether Fakedi is available for selection. Whether he, He's due to be back this week, but it's still touch and go at this point. Hmm. So, I mean, that's most of our Wallabies at the moment. Um, not available for, for selection. Wallabies on the sidelines, jeez. It doesn't... It doesn't uh, 
it doesn't bode too well for the Waratahs. Um, you would have also liked to have seen them put their best 15 out last week with the players playing together to get momentum, beat Moana and come into this finals game with momentum and sort of a bit of belief. Uh, last week's mental toll, last game in Sydney, Hooper's last game, not getting up, not getting the victory. I wouldn't be surprised if the Waratahs are a bit flat and that they come into this game and sort of, they've already spoken in the media around the mountain that's ahead of them and the mountain they have to climb to beat the Blues at Eden Park. And I do wonder if that's just the mental side of things is going to be a little bit too hard for them this week. It'll be a tough one, but look, you're looking at the Blues and the Waratahs, the Chiefs and the Reds is no easier for our Z teams. And they're up again on the Saturday afternoon. Is there any hope, Mitch, of the Reds pulling another away win over the Chiefs this season? Can lightning strike twice? The only only hope you would have is that you know you've done it before. So in some ways, you know what you need to do. You need to just think, what was it, three, four weeks ago, we went to New Plymouth, I think it was played, that Mm one. Uh, We went there and we beat this Chiefs team. Yes, they might have rested some of their All Blacks and we'll get some of our Wallabies back as well this week. So let's do it again. Let's go there and let's shock them and let's let's play it. So I think the Reds have the, the attitude that they need to know that they can do it because they've done it. But whether they're able to actually sort of shake off the shackles of that performance, that second half against the draw last week and, and go again, and um, the travel is a big thing. We've spoken about it as well. Uh, earlier in the podcast, even that those teams that have to travel in travel weeks and, and how far they have to travel, they've never, no team has really been able to bounce back. The Reds have to fly from, I don't know what their actually, what their plans are or how they've done it, but theoretically they have to fly from Suva to back to Queensland and then from Queensland over to Auckland and then Auckland down to Hamilton to play the Chiefs. And that's a lot of travel. So yeah, for a for young sure. team. And they're coming off the... They're coming off the trip to Dunedin as well the week prior. So they've gone the length of New Zealand, back up to Fiji, back home, and then probably you're bussing it, you know, down the um, over the Bombays, down to Hamilton for the game, when which will be a full house. You've got an un you know, not unbeaten Chiefs, obviously the Reds got there. But um, you know, thirteen and one Chiefs coming into a home quarterfinal against the one team that beat them. It's going to be steaming there. If I was Brad Thorne, I'd be taking heaps of, uh, what's it called? Like padding, fluff, the like stuff you put in pillows. So you can just hand it out and get get rid of those cowbells in the crowd. You can shut those <laughs> cowbells up, you're in with a chance. Soundproof. I, I honestly love the cowbells. They're better than the Vuvuzelas of a couple of years ago. <laughs> but um, that's going to that's gonna be a tough game. And um, oh, I mean, I would love to say that the Reds, you know, will charge through to a semi. I think it would be the biggest upset of the year for them to do it again, to do it twice. In fact, it would probably be the story of modern Super Rugby, at least from Super Rugby Pacific's um, inauguration when it started last year, to see that two away wins for the same Aussie side in New Zealand against the winners. I mean, that's that's That'd be What a way to send off Brad Thorne. That would be awesome. Now, what, what, what do? a way as well, and it, and it would likely set up a, a semi, you know, probably against the Crusaders. But can the Drua, can the Drua pull off the real miracle of Super Rugby Pacific, mate? They've got them on Saturday evening, five o'clock at Orange Theory Stadium. 
is there a hope? Is there a hope for the Fijian Drua? Look, part of me kind of hopes that just the uh, Christchurch-based Fijian fans, and there are a fair few of them, when you think about how many Fijians even play for the Crusaders, would be showing up in full force, full Fijian Drua kit, cheering for the boys, getting behind them. You know, that might be enough to kind of put them in in with a chance. I think the first maybe 25, 30 minutes is going to be the the real teller of this game. If the if the Drua can keep with the Crusaders for that long, they're potentially in with a shot. We know and we've seen through this season um, that the Drua need to start well like they did last week. That try in the third minute against the Reds really put a put a wind in their sails and lifted them. If they can start well against the Crusaders, I think they've got enough belief to kind of carry through. But if the Crusaders can put one or two tries on really early, um, I think that's mm-hmm. when the drill will start to, that fatigue might set in, that mental element might come in and might start to realize what a mountain it is to actually go to go to Christchurch and beat the, yeah. what is it, seven in a row Crusaders at home in a quarterfinal. <laughs> but uh, never say never. I don't, this team has shown last week, if they can play and replicate what they did last week against the Reds, mm-hmm. they can beat any team in this competition. And they can, I mean, they've done it. They've already beaten the Crusaders this year. So like you mentioned with the Reds and the Chiefs, there is that underlying belief that you can take down to Christchurch and say, let's just do it again. Let's put everything in and do it again. I think you're probably going to see the Crusaders a bit miffed that they have to play the Drua. I think it's probably the least um, favoured opponent when Scott Robertson's going through and doing his planning, sees that he's playing the Drua and goes, ah, you know, throw the plan for the Reds or whoever out the window. Can you imagine though... If the Drewer do get up, that Scott oh. Robinson would finish his career at the Crusaders. What is it? Six from seven or whatever. How yep. many in a row it is that he's won there. He finishes up his time as a Crusaders, bowing out in the quarterfinals against a team that only came into the competition last year, who he didn't beat earlier in the season. And and then that would would that even taint the legacy of however many championships? It probably would. That's how high their standards are. For but, him, definitely. I mean, Definitely. Yeah, per- personally, for sure. It'd be an interesting dynamic to see heading into an All Blacks role. But um, look, I think we're going to see the Crusaders roll on through. Expect a lot of really strong tactical kicking out of 9 and 10. You know, Richie Moana plugging corners, you know, making the drill try and run out of their own half and force errors. So I'd be, I'd be very surprised to see the Crusaders drop one at home. Yeah. Um, we might look at the Brumbies game and then I'll get your thoughts and we'll do our tips for the quarterfinals and then we'll finish up. So last game of the quarterfinals, 7.35 on Saturday evening, the Brumbies hosting the Hurricanes. This is a repeat of the quarterfinal from last year. We know the Hurricanes have put in some good performances in the last two weeks. They're finishing strongly their season. Can the Brumbies do it? Can the Brumbies cause maybe not so much an upset, but can the Brumbies push through to a semifinal? Yes, in short, they can. And the Brumbies should go into this as favourites. I know the Hurricanes are coming off a big win and the Brumbies have had their you know late season wobbles against the Force and then losing to the Chiefs took a bit of you know wind out of their sail. But the Brumbies at home are a serious problem across this competition. No one likes going to Canberra. It's heading towards the middle of June. It's going to Cold. be freezing. It's nothing to do. Miserable. And you've got all the Hurricanes boys coming on, traveling, knowing that, you know, last year we came here and we caught a final, we lost. And now we have to go and do it again. We have to do that again. We didn't get that home semi. 
So massively important that Brumbies are playing this at home. You go in as favourites and you think that with the firepower that they've got, not just, you know, with the Tom Wrights and the Corey Tools have been, you know, setting up and scoring all the tries, but it's almost at full strength, it is an almost entirely Wallaby pack or Wallaby standard pack. And that's where that battle is going to be won, you know, They've got brilliant forwards, the Hurricanes, you know, your Tyrell Lomaxes, your Sufferon Moors, your Dane Coles, Artie Save is the heartbeat of that. But I think the Brumbies have too much class in the forwards to drop this one at home. My biggest fear for the Brumbies is that if if this was played in round four or five this season, I think that they comfortably beat the Hurricanes. And we saw them start Super Rugby Pacific this year really strongly, the Brumbies. Mm. That performance against the Blues down in Melbourne, uh, for Super Round in Round 2 was an absolute masterclass in how to shut down Kiwi sides. But the last few weeks, they've sort of gone away from their kind of set piece in there. They've, whether it's through uh, personnel, like they're not selecting their best 15 week in, week out, and they're resting players and, and the protocols that come through that, they just haven't seemed as dominant as they have starting in the season. So if they're able to get back to that form and able to put that game plan to the Hurricanes, I think they'll win convincingly. I think it's a big plus for the Brumbies. The Lord Laurie was in um, in COVID isolation last week, so he wasn't able to attend the Rebels game. So by all reports, he'll be out of isolation and able to attend training this week and, and get the boys up for the game. So I think that alone will um, be a big thing. He's retiring at the end of the year as well. So that's going to be a massive motivation for the boys to put in a big performance. Last home game of the year for the Brumbies. If they do go through next week, they do play away from home. So um, yeah, I guess if you're a Brumbies fan, make sure you get there. If you're a Waratahs fan, there's nothing else on on Saturday night. So might as well drive down um, the freeway and, and attend the Brumbies game as well and cheer for your fellow Aussie uh, Super Rugby team. Let's um. I'll get your thoughts and we'll, your tips now for all four games. So starting with the Blues, which way are you gonna, you're going to tip this one? I'd lo- I'd love to be able to tip the Tars, but it'll be the Blues, and they'll do it fairly comfortably. I think you'll say I'm going to say Blues by fourteen, 14. with Mark Talia just being a problem, a big problem. And how many tries is he going to score? Oh, he'll he'll only score two, but that'll be the margin. That'll be the difference. Yeah, I'd love to say the Waratahs as well, but I think I'm also going to go with the Blues. I'll, I'll say by five. I hope the Waratahs can keep them to at least a score. Um, if they can do that, I think they've done enough. Uh, next game, Chiefs and Reds. Can the Reds get the upset again? Oh, I want to say they can so badly, but it's just going to be such a mess in Hamilton. If they can drag him into a scrap, they can keep it close. But I think the Chiefs are able to grind this one out. It's tighter than people think. I'm going to say the Chiefs by 10. Um, I also think the Chiefs will win this one. Uh, they rested a few of their All Blacks last time and the injuries that the Reds have sustained in the last few weeks, I think, is probably what's going to be the difference for them. Um, with players like Damien McKenzie, um, Sam Kane coming back in, Brad Weber coming back into this Chiefs team, I think they have two class at the moment. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Chiefs win by 14+. plus in that game. Um, Crusaders Drua, which way are you tipping this one? I'm going to tip Drua. I just, I can't not tip them. I want them to win it so badly. And while the Crusaders have every right to win this, you know, comfortably by 20, 30 points, I'm going to tip the Drua. I'm going to tip them by two. And it's going to be Kimu Valentini yes. kicking down the penalty at the end. 
How good. Um, I'll, I'll go with my head this time, not my heart, and say that the Crusaders will win this by five. Uh, but the Druid will keep them within five, so that's a win in, in my books. Um, last game, Brumbies, Hurricanes. What do you reckon? Oh, it's going to be so close, this one. There'll be there'll be less than a score in it. I think it's going to come down to goal kicking as well. So massive night for the Noah Lola CEOs up against probably Geordie Barrett kicking for the Hurricanes. Geordie Barrett's been on and off this year with his radar. He's had a couple of stinkers. And that's um, what happened I last think... year too, from memory. They mm, they, so they lost because um, Barrett didn't kick well. I think, I think that's going to weigh on him. So I'm going to say... It's the Brumbies by a point. It's going to come down to that. It's going to be tight. I think this one's going to be really tight. It'd be interesting to see later in the week which team they name. I know Noel Alessio has had a few, was out last week with a HIA or concussion. So if mm-hmm. he can pass those uh, in saying that, um, uh, what's his name? The replacement, Deborah Sini, he's been good for mm-hmm. them this year and he played well for them last week. So it'd be, inter- it'd be interesting to see which way uh, uh, Larkham. I've nearly said McKellar then. I'm so used to it being Dan <laughs> McKellar. Well, I would be interesting yeah. to see which way Larkham goes in team selection. Uh, I but... think he'll have to lean back into his um his combos. And this will be the last, I know I've been rattling on, but that what's worked so well for the Brumbies this year is having the, the one-two punch with their halves combos. So White with Lalesio and then Lonigan with Debrisini. Yeah. We've seen towards the end of the year it kind of come unstuck. And that's because and they've sort of shifted those around, haven't they? Out. Yeah, yeah. So they've got to get the band back together. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Aussie heart, Aussie head. Brumbies by Brumbies by ten. I'll say by ten. They'll score. They'll score a few more rolling more tries, and no less. He will kick one from the <laughs> sideline. So let's leave it there. All right. Thanks everyone for getting to this point of the podcast. This has probably rambled on a little bit, but last week of Super Rugby Pacific before the final, so you can forgive us for that. Um, our thoughts go out to Ando. Hopefully he's not battling COVID too badly. He should hopefully be getting to the end of it by this time the podcast comes out. So hope, hopefully you're going all right in isolation there, Ando, and you can listen to this and let us know what you think and, and give us a cry about the Waratahs over the weekend. Um, Lockie, thanks for joining us this week. All the best to your Reds in the quarterfinals. Let's hope that they can get that upset. And same to you, Taz, mate. Go to the Aussie teams and get behind Fiji and Drew as well. All Aussies through to the quarterfinals. Fingers How good crossed. would that be? How good oh, would that be? be? Well, you heard it here first. That's what's going to happen. Next week, we'll be talking about how <laughs> it's an all Aussie quarter, a semi-final uh, in Super Rugby Pacific 2023. Thanks, everyone, for this point of the podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll catch you then. Bye.